If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 21, all four Gospels tell us the story of Jesus' triumphal entry. Uh, today, the Holy Spirit leads us to uh, Matthew's uh, rendition of the Gospel, Matthew 21. We'll look at the uh, first 17 verses of that. Several summers ago, uh, during one of my most enjoyable times of the year, back when we had a father-son baseball trips, every year I would go with two friends and uh, my two boys and their two boys on a father-son baseball trip. We'd pick different cities and and go and and just have an amazingly wonderful time. Uh, One year, uh, we went through Washington, D.C., and a friend had worked it out that we uh, had a connection or two, and we were able to tour the West Wing of the White House. I mean, the West Wing. I mean, an inside tour. It was pretty awesome being so close to the most powerful person in the world. And being so close and right there, standing right in the doorway of the most powerful office, the Oval Office. Much to the president's chagrin, he didn't see us that time. But I almost ran over the Secretary of State. I really did. I mean, Condoleezza Rice, Dr. Condoleezza Rice, was coming around the corner at the same time I was, and wow, face-to-face with the Secretary of State, Condoleezza. Dr. Rice, it's nice to see you today, ma'am. And uh, she greeted me. I'm sure it changed her life forever as well. <laughs> but you walk around and think, it's kinda, this is kind of where it happens. I mean, this is what it's like to be here. Well, at least it's what it's like as much as they show you and what they show you. And you, you know all the stories, the good and the bad and the ugly. And I promise you they're all in your mind as you're looking around trying to figure out uh, the uh, West Wing. I was actually able to stand at the podium uh, where they have uh, the press room. It's, it's not a very good press room. It's kind of kind of small right there. I don't know why they didn't slap up the presidential seal while I was up there. But that was awesome. To be that close. This morning we're going to talk about another source of power, the ultimate seat of power. Another, not a president, but a king, King Jesus. We're going to look to God's word and see what is the difference about this king than any other powerful man, any other uh, source of power in all of history. King Jesus, he's unique, he's beautiful, he's wonderful, he's amazing. Wow what he has done for us. And if the Holy Spirit comes with power like I believe he will, and if God is pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me, my hope and prayer is that when we leave here, we will be, as the children sang to us, unable to not worship Jesus. A couple negatives in there. But we will be so filled with awe of who this Jesus is that when we leave here, we will be singing his praises and saying, praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Let us read together Matthew 21, verses 1 through 17. You can follow along on the words on the screen or with your Bibles. God's holy and errant word. And Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem. They came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble or gentle, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. 
The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments uh, uh, over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession. It's basically saying there are those in front of him, those behind him. And the people all around were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David! Blessings is the one, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heavens. The entire city was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They ask, may we all know who this is before we leave. And the crowds replied, it is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the table at the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the table, the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scripture declares my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of religion, uh, the religious law, saw this wonderful, these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God, the Son of David! But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the Scriptures? For they say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. That's Psalm 8. Then he returned to Bethany, where he stayed the night. Let us pray. Father God, would you come with the power of your spirit, the power of Jesus. And would you show us who Jesus really is. God, there was confusion in Jesus' day. When he went into the temple and when he went into the town, everyone was saying, who's this? Who is this? It causes such an uproar. And Father, all of history hinges on that answer. All of redemptive history hinges on that answer. All of our lives hinge on that answer. Who is this Jesus? This one called King. Father, we ask that the Spirit of Jesus would come here so that He would be teacher. The Holy Spirit would illumine our minds and our hearts so we would understand who this King is. That we will personally know what this King has done. done. And that we could leave here like those children in the temple praising God with all of our might. Come and receive glory. Give us great challenge, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to look at a few things about this king, uh, who he is. Uh, who is this king? Who is this Jesus? What is he like? And we're going to look at some attributes of this king. And so for some, for you, uh, it may be very new. For some, uh, you may know some of these attributes. For all of us, I hope and pray the Holy Spirit would come and just remind us of who this king is. He's amazing. So if you want to follow along in your bulletin, you'll find an outline uh, if you want to follow along with who this king is. And the the first thing we see in verses 5 through 8 as Matthew is telling us about this king, he's, he's reaching back into the Old Testament prophecy and he's reminding us what Zechariah would say about a king to come. And he says this, Our king is gentle and lowly. 
Our king is gentle and lowly. He, he, he rides on a borrowed donkey. Our king is gentle and lowly. Matthew earlier would say that uh, for all of you who are weary, for all of you who are, are tired, for all of you who are broken, for all of you who are sin-soaked, for all of you who have been through the battle of life and you know how wearisome it is, good news, Jesus is gentle. Jesus is lowly. This is a king who is our king. And oftentimes you think of, of kings of power and kings of position the amazing contrast of this Jesus. He's gentle. He's lowly. What, what does that mean? Well, he, he identifies with our humanness by becoming human. That God would want to identify so much with you and so much with me that he would become one of us. He identifies with your weakness by, by becoming weak. The one who spoke and, and all of creation came into existence. The one who, who has the strength to, to hold up the universe. The one who has the ability to sustain all things. He became weak to know and understand and taste and experience your weakness. He identifies with your sin by becoming your sin. The one who is holy and without sin and perfect and beautiful Savior became marred. Marred by what? Marred by your filth. Marred by my filth. Marred by our sin. He became our sin and he identifies with us through that. But this one, he's accessible to the poor in spirit. The good news is this. God can relate to you and you can relate to God. Do you know that good news? I mean, God can relate to you. Whoever you are made in his image, whatever position you will find yourself in right now, wherever your broken life has led you, your God can identify with you. Good news. And we can identify with the God of the universe. He came for the weak, he said. I came for the broken. I came for the sin-soaked. No matter how low our sin takes us, no matter how low sin will take us in this terrible world, Jesus is there. Do you know that? Do you know that wherever you are, you aren't disqualified from his love? Do you know that wherever you are, you're not too far from home? Do you know that whatever you have done, you are not disqualified to know and love this God the enemy who tempts you and the enemy who leads us into sin and our flesh who leads us into sin then wants to turn around and says, you're no good. You're disqualified. God is holy. You're anything but holy. You don't deserve him. None of us do. There's such good news with a king that is gentle and lowly. There's such good news with a king who is humble. No matter where we are, no matter how low our sin sinks us, God is there to meet us. Good news. We have access to our king. Going into the West Wing, how to bring a passport, uh, how to make sure you had the right connections or the right credentials. You were not getting into the West Wing without the right credentials. But more than that, try to go there right now. You won't get in. You have to have the right contacts. You have to have somebody on the inside that's gonna set it up for you to get in. No one I knew, someone else knew. But here's the good news about the ultimate seat of power, the ultimate king. You don't have to have the right credentials. You just have to be you. 
made in his image. Here's the great news. You don't have to have the right connections. You just need to be connected to him. Such good news. Jesus is gentle. Jesus is humble. Jesus is lowly. And if it wasn't true, we would never have access to him. Does it make sense? So what's our point? If Jesus is gentle, we need to be gentle with our judgment of others. If Jesus is gentle in in the way he deals with sinners like us, we better make sure we're gentle with dealing with those around us. And let me just say, Trayvon, Trayvon Martin is a great example. Are we being gentle? Are we being lowly? How are we going to handle things like this? Be lowly. I think for many of us, we got to get off our high horse. We, we think so highly of ourselves. We think so highly of our co- accomplishments. And oftentimes we want to go through life on a high horse that we can ride on. Our king rode on a borrowed donkey. That's Jesus. That's where he rode into town on, a borrowed donkey. Be humble. Be humble. Your God is humble. But he's more than just lowly. He's also, our king is connected and lofty. Again, he he, he connects us to, to Zachariah, but he also says that praise to him, praise to this Jesus goes to the highest of heavens. I mean, no one is more connected. No one is more lofty than Jesus, the one who sits at the Father's right hand. He is connected and he is lofty. He blesses us and he lifts us up to the height of heavens. Now get this. If I came to you today and said this to you about scripture, Jesus, your king, is gentle and lowly. Jesus, no matter where you are, can find you, love you, scoop you up, and give you life. That is amazingly good news, is it not? But let me tell you what Jesus does. He does more. He just doesn't leave us in our filth. He just doesn't leave us in our junk. He just doesn't leave us into our brokenness because he is connected and I'll show you how in a minute because he is high and lofty and because he loves us he lifts us up and so it's not like we have a king who just comes and sits in the mire with us we have a king who sits in the mire with us cleans us up and brings us home and brings us to the father and presents us as beloved and beautiful Jesus is connected and lofty in regards to creation and recreation I mean, talk about being connected in the beginning. We read in the beginning of Genesis. In the beginning, God spoke into the nothing and all things were created. We get to the gospel of John. We see it's God's word that was spoken in the beginning, who was with God and who is God. It's God's word who, who put on flesh and dwelt among us. God is the God and this King Jesus is connected to creation itself. He's connected to recreation. Jesus said, I come to make all things new. If you're in me, you're a new creation. He is so connected. He's connected to God because he is the God of creation. He is the God of recreation. But the whole Bible was about God coming to save his people. That's the story of the Bible. The big meta-narrative story is this. God loves his people. God has allowed his people to rebel and fall into sin. But God rescues his people. And the whole story of the Bible is how God rescues you and how God rescues me through Christ Jesus. I love it. There's a a story in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 24. 
And many churches will be talking about this in this upcoming week. And it's called the road to Emmaus. And there were, there were two people who were leaving Jerusalem after the crucifixion of Christ. And, and they were so bummed because they thought that Jesus might be the answer. And they couldn't figure it out. And they were just thinking, man, this Jesus, we were putting our hope in him. And yet he hang, hung naked on that tree. I guess there's somebody else to come. And Jesus, the resurrected Christ, comes alongside them. And they don't recognize him right away. And he starts to talk to him on the road. And he, he does something amazing. He, he goes back to the beginning of the Bible. He goes back to what Moses write and the prophets and, and everything was spoken about the coming Messiah. And he starts saying, well, don't you remember? And haven't you heard? And didn't you know that this Jesus, this coming king, that he was going to be turned over to the officials and killed for our sins? Don't you know that all the promises of the Bible, it's all about Jesus. All of a sudden their minds were opened up by the Holy Spirit. Their hearts burned. Have you ever had your heart burned because of scripture? Have you ever had your heart burned because you see the beauty of Christ throughout it? I mean, talk about connected. Jesus went back and he says, let me connect the dots for you. There's not a dot that doesn't point to me. It's all about me. It's all about what I've done. And it's all about what I am doing. The whole Bible is about being connected to me. He talked to him. He says, you know that promise of a prophet who is going to come that was better than Moses? That's me. You know about that priest that was come that was better than Aaron because he is going to offer a sacrifice that really will take away your sins? That's my blood. That's me. You know how we talk about a king that was going to come and be better than David, a king that would truly rule and reign and defeat all our enemies? That's me. That's this Jesus. This is the Jesus who is connected, connected to every promise in the Bible. It's all found in him. It's what... Paul writes when he writes in 2 Corinthians 1.20, he says all the promises of God in the Old Testament, there's a lot of them, all the things that God said he would do, find their yes in him. Everything that seems so conditional, everything that seems so fleeting, everything that we seem to miss, all the promises of God find one source. Their yes in a son who was faithful and a son who was obedient unto death and a son who gave his life. And now, guess what? He shares those promises freely, joyfully with us, without condition. Paul will say it this way in Ephesians 1, 3, that in Christ Jesus, now having a relationship within Christ Jesus, that all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly realms are ours. It sounds so Christian-y. It sounds so Bible language. I can't always grab that. I can never really fully grasp that. But let's try it again. All of God's blessings right now in the spiritual realm, everything that heaven has to offer are ours in Christ Jesus bar none. What a Savior. What a king. Are you kidding? He's going to say everything that God ever promised, anything that God could ever offer, I give to you. I'm going to do more than clean you up. I'm going to make you family. I'm going to connect you. I'm going to do more than just sit in your muck and mire. I'm going to make you a part of my family. I'm going to let you rule and reign with me. All the things I deserve is the obedient son. All the things I've earned, all the things I paid for on the cross, I freely share. I'm connected and you are too in me. Lift it up. I mean, I don't know how Paul says this, but he, he can see a God outside of time. He says, even right now, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. 
Even right now, this, this king named Jesus, he looks at you and, and he's, he's, his righteousness is sufficient for you and his sacrifice was good enough to you that, that right now the Father has us connected to Jesus, seated with Jesus, blessed in Jesus, lifted up in Jesus. What an amazing Savior, gentle and lowly, connected and lofty. And how, how many leaders really ever bless the people? I mean, how many leaders ever, maybe they have a great leader who can say, man, he is a people king. He's a people leader. He's a coach of the people or the players. Jesus is so much more than just saying he's connected to our lowliness. He actually does something for us. He actually lifts us up. He actually makes us new. He actually makes us royalty. Are you connected to him? Our king, not only that, he is our king is zealous and confrontational. Do you know that about Jesus? Do you know that he's zealous and confrontational? Look again at verses 12 and 13. I mean, Jesus is zealous for, for holiness. He will drive out anything that stands in his way of his kingdom. Jesus will drive out anything that stands in the way of his kingdom and his glory. Every gospel tells the story of Jesus cleansing the temple. There's some, there's some thought, is he, did he do it twice? Uh, uh, John kind of mentions it early in his ministry. Uh, the the uh, synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, talk about it more during this time. But one thing we know, whether it was two cleansings or one cleansing, clearly Jesus was passionate about the temple. Why? Because it was the temple that had to be pure. Why? Because it was the temple where God met with his people. It was the temple was supposed to be the place that we come and offer sacrifices to God. The temple was a place that we come and receive blessings from God. The temple, supposed to be a house of prayer, supposed to be a place filled with God's presence. And Jesus was passionate about keeping it pure and clean. And man, nah, they kind of had the money changers and make a profit and makes it become a den of thieves. And what does Jesus come he comes into the temple, not as this meek and lowly one. He is that too. But do you know he's zealous and confrontational? Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus goes toe-to-toe with the religious people? Do you, know, do you know how confrontational he is to anything that gets in the way of his kingdom? I'm telling you, he's not going to mess around. He's overthrowing tables. I mean, he's, he's causing a mess. I mean, a riot's about ready to break out. But I think what you need, you and I need to hear is this, is, is the, the reality of this temple is that now in Christ Jesus, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, don't you know that your bodies are the temple in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit? Listen, Jesus' zeal to keep it pure and Jesus' zeal to be confrontational to make sure that nothing in the temple will rival his kingdom still stands today. He still zealously burns for your life and my life to have a godly purity. That anything in his life, in our lives, that will be confrontation to his kingdom, he's going to overthrow the tables. God loves us too much. Listen, God loves us too much not to throw over the money changers in our temple. Those things that will distract us from him. Did you hear that? God loves us, those in Christ Jesus, too much not to be confrontational and to throw over the tables in our lives that are ungodly and not pure. 
My mom had a lot of wonderful traits. And I think this is one of them, I'm not sure. But she would say to me as a child growing up, Jeffrey, your sins will find you out. Man, she was right. Because she was quoting scripture. I want you to picture this. Your sins are going to find you out. Why? Because God loves you too much to let a cesspool be in the temple. He's going to expose it every time. As your pastor, I have come and I've stood in a lot of cesspools with you. And I've stood in a lot of cesspools of saying, this is, this is where we do when we don't keep the temple clean. And we got sewage now running all over our lives, don't we? It's at that point you want to remind one another, God loves us. And God is for us. But I can't tell you how many of you I've said, God loves you too much not to drive this crap to the surface. He just loves you too much. I mean, you're building your life on a false thing right here. And you got a relationship that's not healthy. You, you got, a, you got a, a, a secret life that's killing you. I mean, you got part of your temple that, that you have just, it's a mess. As your pastor and one who loves you, let me tell you, preemptive strikes are always less painful. Examine your heart. Examine your life. Listen, Jesus is zealous to keep your temple clean. He is confrontational at anything right now that is set up against his kingdom. Yes, he's gentle. Yes, he's loving. But he's zealous, confrontational. He's going to love you too much. That secret life that you have right now, it's coming out. You can't keep it in. And just the energy trying to keep it in, it's not worth it. Turn to the one and say, cleanse me again, Lord Jesus. What needs to be overturned in your temple? Our king is healer and to be worshiped. Verses 14 through 16. Jesus alone can heal us. He alone is to be the one to be worshiped by, uh, by us. We are to give him our worship. And here's how we're to worship him. In childlike praise, jubilation. I mean, just, just so excited for what God has done. And Jesus' ultimate healing is the forgiveness of our sins. We gotta understand that. Jesus' ultimate healing is the forgiveness of our sins through his righteous life, his substitutionary death, and his resurrection. There's a great story in the gospel uh, about Jesus healing a paralytic. I hope you get to go there sometime and go to Capernaum and and see uh, the place, Peter's house. Uh, It's right there. They have the ruins and the synagogues right there and the place where uh, these four friends who love their friend who's a paralytic enough that couldn't get him to Jesus because there was such a crowd. The doors, they couldn't get anywhere near him. So they climbed to the roof and they lowered their friend to get to the feet of Jesus. Awesome story. I mean, you just kind of stand there and think, man, that must have been incredible to see the, the roof start caving up and sunlight coming through and a guy being lowered down right in front of Jesus and everybody wondering, what's he gonna do? Is he gonna heal him? And Jesus just throws this awesome curveball that, that is just typical of Jesus. He looked at their faith, which by the way, that's an interesting thing, their faith, and he says this, he says, your sins are forgiven. You got a paralytic laying right there, you know? I mean, your sins are forgiven. Really, Jesus? I mean, come on. The fella can't walk. Do you, do you think that the four friends thought, here, I'm going to do, I'm going I'm to get my friend to Jesus to have his sins forgiven. <laughs> the great physician named Jesus assessed 
the situation better than any triage doctor would do. And he went right for the greatest need. He went right to the heart of the greatest need. And that man may have been broken physically, but he was dead spiritually. And he knew that man was dead spiritually, and what he's going to do is he's going to offer new life in Christ and says, listen, let me tell you something. That, that past that's broken, that past that's sinful, forgive it. You're a new man. And just so you know that I have the authority to do that, why don't you stand up and roll up that mat and get out of here? The greatest healing that God could give you is healing you spiritually. The greatest healing that God could give you is to go down into your junk and lift you to the heavens. Do you know that? Now, Scripture still says, he promises, like in Psalm 91, how many of you have not gone through cancer or got, gone through a difficult disease and not meditated on Psalm 91 and are being reminded that God says, I heal all your diseases? And how many of us ever want to say, really, Lord, but my spouse isn't here, but my kid didn't recover, but it hasn't gone away? I have good news for you. God heals all your diseases, all of them, some now, some later. He will heal you in his timing. I wish it was all now. I've been there. I've prayed for healing that didn't seem to come. And God says, walk in faith. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to heal her. I've already healed you. He is the ultimate healer. He will heal us. Healing only comes from him. Listen, that's spiritual healing. And some of you need that. Some of you need it right now, desperately. I mean, that's physical healing. Some of you right now need physical healing desperately. That's emotional healing. And a lot of you need that. I mean, there's scars that are deep and there's wounds that are fresh and, and, and we're a broken people, are we not? And Jesus is healer. I mean, Jesus is healer. The lame still come to him. The blind still come to him. And he gives us life and he gives us sight. Worship is to be given to him. Worship is to be given to him alone. Do you know the Pharisees, they did nothing but rebuke worship that whole time. The religious people, kids, be quiet. Stop this crazy worship of Jesus. Some of them went up to Jesus, and Luke tells us, Luke 19 says that some of them up to Jesus himself and just say, hey, listen, you you gotta get these people to shut up. I mean, they're singing praises to you as if you're God. I mean, they're singing praises to you as if you're the Messiah. They're singing praises to you as if you're the one. He says, listen, if they're not singing, the rocks are going to cry out. Are you singing? Are your worship been given to him? My brothers and sisters, when you know Jesus, by God's grace as I know Jesus, And what he has done for you and what he has done for me, you can't help but worship him. When he's been gentle and lowly to you, when in the midst of your junk, when in the midst of your broken, Jesus was there, and you know he relates to you, you can't help but worship him. When he is connected to you and he's connected your story to his story and connected God's promises to your life, when he has lifted you up and you were lofty, and you can't help but worship him. When he's been zealous for you, when he's been zealous enough to cleanse the temple of your life through his son's blood and fill you with the Holy Spirit, when he's been lovingly confrontational to you in the junk of your life to cleanse you, you can't help but worship him. If he's been healer to you, if he's touched you and he's healed you, you can't help but worship him.
Keep the eyes of your life on your king. Take them off yourself. Quit staring at your navel. Behold your king. Majesty. Finally, here. What is holding you back from worshiping Jesus? What is keeping you from a childlike, grace-soaked worship of Jesus? You see, the kids came in. And they weren't calm and they didn't have order. And I'm not sure we are either. My brothers and sisters, majesty is finally here. Our king in spirit is in this building now. We must sing. And maybe even a little undignified. Getting into the west wing of the White House was really nice. I'll always remember it. But entering into the presence of God, unbelievable. Let us pray. Father, may your spirit come. We're going to sing a couple songs. And for those of us who know you, by your grace, know that you're gentle and lowly. Know that you're connected and lofty. And know that you're zealous and confrontational. Know that you're healer. May we worship our king. And God, for anyone here this morning, who doesn't know you personally, may in these moments your grace touch their hearts. And may they be able to answer, who is this Jesus? This Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. This Jesus is my Savior and my King. In his name we pray. Amen.